Thank you to Umea Renz-Whitmore for joining me, Kayla, to share today's reading, A Comprehensive List of Fears, written down by a Unitarian Universalist youth in the early 2000s, as she was reflecting on how to confront them. A couple of weeks ago in a sermon on the spirit world, I shared how at this time of year, it's believed that the veil between the living and the dead thins and the spirits of the dead move among us. This ancestral belief, which is common across multiple cultures, was made into a ritual thousands of years ago by the Druids in Europe, a ritual known as the Feast of Samhain. The Druids were the religious leaders of the Celtic people. They lived in the area that we now call France and the British Isles. And to this day, you can visit places in Ireland that were known to be gateways or portals between the world of the living and the world of the dead. Samhain, for whom the feast is named, was the Lord of the dead. On October 31st, it was said, ancient graves were opened. And on October 31st, the souls of the dead could revisit their homes where people might light their way with candles or welcome them with special foods. And creatures from the underworld, who usually remained underground, were set loose to walk around. Living people acknowledged the presence of these underworld creatures. And sometimes living people even tried to trick the creatures by disguising themselves to look like them. That, we think, is how we came to have a tradition of wearing costumes on October 31st. In the 7th or 8th century, when Christianity had come into a lot of power in Western Europe, the Roman Catholic Church tried more or less to replace Samhain with All Saints Day. All Saints Day, also called All Hallows Day or Hallowmas. This Catholic day was a celebration of all the saints, known and unknown. And the next day, All Souls Day, was a day of prayer for all Christians who had died. And previously, All Saints Day had been celebrated in April, but the Roman Catholic Church moved it to November 1st. And that may have been an attempt to overshadow or to subsume that pagan feast day with a Christian tradition. But the day before All Hallows Day, October 31st, the traditional day of Samhain, would not quite go away. And instead, it became known as All Hallows' Eve or Halloween. And meanwhile, there was a custom on All Souls' Day that children would go door to door offering prayers. This was called souling, S-O-U-L-I-N-G. And soulers might then receive a treat called soul cakes in return. And this, we think, is probably the origin of trick-or-treating. So if you venture out in costume tonight, or you answer the door to those who do, blessings on your tributes to the Lord of the dead. Because of that pagan history, some Christian churches do not celebrate Halloween. Others see an opportunity in it though, and they have something like a haunted house in their church, but instead of depicting the usual underworld creatures, they depict people in hell. These are called hell houses instead of haunted houses, and they're full of what those churches consider the horrors of moral depravity or straying from God, things like same-sex marriage or abortion, which are interesting choices, considering that Jesus 
really didn't say a word about them. He did say many words about taking care of outcasts, little children, and people who are poor, sick, or in prison. But I've never heard of a Christian hellhouse that depicted a politician who voted against Medicaid expansion. In this Unitarian Universalist church, we embrace our pagan roots as well as modern paganism. Also, if you're queer or you've had an abortion, come on in. You're in good company here. I find Halloween fascinating because of how we celebrate and we make fun of things that are scary. And I also think it's really, really interesting how much we dress up as monsters, zombies, or ghosts, or characters from fairy tales, Little Red Riding Hood or the wolf, goblins or witches, things that live not so much in our communities, but in our psyches. They get at something existential. Being scared is part of being alive. It's a primal experience that as soon as we are conscious of being alive, we get worried about death, mostly, ultimately, right? And when things are going well, we're afraid of bad things happening. That's why the stories are so scary. They're true, not in a factual way, but in a way that our psyches understand very well. On the shelf behind my desk here in the church office, I have this statue of the Hindu deity, Kali. Mother Kali, she's often called. And she's scary, look at her. She wears a necklace of 50 skulls. She has four arms, two of which hold, uh, one of which holds a severed head representing the ego. Below that, a bowl full of blood. And in her other hands are a machete and a sword. Her tongue sticks out in an expression of rage and aggression meant to terrify. Mother Kali is often depicted standing with one foot planted on Lord Shiva her consort and one of the most important gods in the Hindu pantheon. She stands on him often, the way she is depicted. And the name Kali means time or the fullness of time. Kali is the destroyer, the remover of obstacles. She vanquishes evil, but she also represents impermanence. She's a representation of the divine in what scares us, death and destruction. She makes us look. And she stands behind me in my office, reminding me not to flinch from what intimidates me. She reminds me to be steady, to set my direction, and to not get overly attached along the way to things that are not meant to last. You can't unsee her now, now that you've seen her up close. But if that seems overly gruesome, I mean, just take a closer look at the stories in the American cultural canon for children, like Grimm's fairy tales, you know, Rapunzel, Hansel and Gretel, Cinderella, Snow White, Rumpelstiltskin. These are old stories and they are much scarier in their original forms. 
when Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm set out to collect them from German folk in the early 1800s, when they went out into the countryside and they talked with grandmothers and tailors and farmhands, the tales they received were filled with terrifying images, swallowed and regurgitated children, severed limbs that are miraculously restored and dreadful punishments for a wicked stepmother or sisters and barrels of nails or red hot iron shoes. What is the wisdom in incorporating fearful things, even fearful celebrations into cultural customs and storytelling? In the last few weeks, I've shared news that my spouse and I separated a couple of months ago. I was only 18 when we moved in together back in the 1990s. And now, 26 years later, I find myself doing certain things alone for the first time in my life. This week, I've been watching a scary show, Midnight Mass, alone at night. Is there anybody else here who likes scary stories and shows? Why would we humans want to do such a thing? And why would we like scary shows so much? A person might rather watch one alone than give them up. In her own sermon on fear several years ago, our Minister Emerita, Christine, ushering today, she shared a story from the writer Molly Ivins, who got it from her friend Johnny Falk, and you heard it told this morning in the Time for All Ages with Reverend Emily. If you couldn't understand it very well, maybe because of Molly Ivan's fast-paced Texas drawl. <laughs> to recap, it's about Johnny and his friend Boots Cooper, two Texans ages seven and six, respectively, on the day that they were pretending to be a captain and a sheriff. And upon seeing that they were so interested in defending the place, Johnny's mom asked them to go on down to the hen house and, as Ivan's put it, quote, route out the chicken snake that had been doing some damage there. So the two boys loped on down there on their trusty brooms, which they tethered outside, and they commenced to search for the snake, and they went through all the shelves and the nests. They couldn't find it, so they stood up on their tippy toes to look in the top shelf, and that is when they found it, and it scared the daylights out of them so bad that they both tried to exit the hen house at the same time, doing considerable damage to both themselves and the door. So Ms. Falk, the mom had a little laugh about this, even though she was a kind mom. She thought it was pretty funny. And she said, what's wrong with you? You know, a chicken snake can't hurt you. And that's when that famous observation was made by Boots Cooper. There's some things that will scare you so bad, you'll hurt yourself. We do know something about that, don't we? And not just whacking yourself on a hen house door. We hurt ourselves when we let fear get the better of us and we let it start calling the shots in our lives in big ways and in small. For example, when we don't try something new because we're afraid we won't be good at it, as though you could be good at something you've never tried. Or we don't speak our truth because we're afraid of how others will react when we don't ask for what we want because we're afraid we're not worthy of it. Or we don't wear the thing or do the thing that brings us joy because we are afraid of being thought of as too much or frivolous or not serious enough. 
when we keep so busy or distracted that we never spend time alone with ourselves in our own minds because we're afraid of the painful feelings or self-loathing that arises. Or we avoid making a big change because we're afraid of the unknown. And maybe now you're thinking of an example from your own life. Is fear holding you back in some way? We're afraid of being vulnerable, of being seen, of being rejected, of failure, of our mortality. And it's not that fear is bad in and of itself. Fear is life-affirming when it tells us what's important to us, like bodily safety, love, belonging. Those things matter. What we need to do, though, is make conscious decisions as often as we can about whether we'll let fear be in the driver's seat or whether we'll let it talk to us from the back seat or whether we'll toss it in the trunk. You might even be able to toss it out the window sometimes, but a lot of the time, the trunk is as good as it gets. It's going to be with us. I am not afraid. Well, I am, but I'll be brave. Remember? Is fear in the driver's seat somewhere in your life today? What would you do if it weren't? What might be possible? Last year, on this day, the streets were eerily quiet all evening. Halloween in the darkness of the pandemic. Maybe tonight, as we at last enjoy the sight of children and adults dressed up again, maybe you'll imagine something that scares you, mingling among the other monsters, ghouls, and ghosts, knocking at your door, being acknowledged, with a smile even, and then being sent on its way. Happy Halloween and happy Samhain. <laughs>